I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read through verse 28. How many of you have enjoyed the last few weeks? Pastor's been talking to us about family matters. Amen? And I'm going to stay in that vein uh, this morning, and it's my honor to uh, bring the word. Amen? Genesis 1, verse 26. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Amen? Verse 28. And this is going to be one of our theme verses this morning. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Come on, say fruitful. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's amazing to me. First of all, how many of you love this book right here? I know I've been saying this a lot, but I love this. And it's amazing to me that something that has always served me well when reading scripture. If you ever want to know what is God's intention, go back to the beginning. Amen? In Genesis, when God creates man and, and, and women... He, the first thing he does, so God has a plan, but the first thing that God does is he creates family. It's the first thing he does. After he creates the universe, after he does all those things. And by the way, the Bible says, and God planted a garden. Adam wasn't uh, actually created in, inside of Eden. It says that God uh, planted Eden and placed man in it. Amen? So God prepared all of these things. And here's, but here's what's interesting. So he does all this and goes, okay, he's got this will and this purpose. He goes, how, how are we going to fill the earth with the purpose of heaven? We're going to create family. It starts with a marriage. A union between a man and a woman. Amen? And by the way, I don't, I, I don't want to hit this. This is not my goal this morning. But we're entering a new year, we're entering a new decade, and one of the things that we're going to have to fight for in the next decade is we're going to have to fight for what it means, what family means. Because culture right now is pushing such a narrative, literally in front of our eyes, marriage is, is, is seeking to be redefined. And I'll go even further, there, it's even seeking to redefine what male and female is. Amen. I, none of this is meant to be in harsh harshness or rudeness but i'm just i'm just preaching just what's happening in our cultures not only is a marriage under assault right the the institution of marriage but also even what it means to be a man and a woman and 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 we have to recognize what is this you you know i i've really more and more it's not really that culture 
in the spirit of this age, it's not personal against you. It's this. You have, we have to understand this, that, that, cult, that, that the spirit of this age is in rebellion to God. And, and, and the enemy's smart. He knows that how God transforms the earth is he starts with family. So it, it only makes sense if the enemy wants to wreak havoc in the earth. How would you go about doing it? Well, I'll tell you. He, I'll tell you what he does. He goes after families. He goes after marriage. He goes after families. He goes after children. Because if you can disrupt family, you can disrupt the earth. Because in Genesis, when God creates man and woman, he says, be fruitful and multiply. So God's purposes were always meant to flow first from family. And God's uh, plan to bring fruitfulness and multiplication in the earth is through family. Can I get an amen this morning? Family is so important to God that even the church... Is called a family. Someone say amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Paul says this. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the saints. Listen to this. And members of the household of God. Romans 8 says it this way. Romans 8 says that we receive the spirit of adoption. By which we cry Abba Father. That when we got saved, amen, born again, amazing. But what does it mean to be born again? Paul tells us in Romans, God becomes your father. All, you know, all of us have been adopted. <laughs> because when we got saved, we received the spirit of adoption. God becomes our father and he places us in his house. So if you look around this room today, you may not know the person next to you. But guess what? That's your brother and that's your sister. You're looking at your spiritual family right now. Amen? Everything that God does is through family, whether it's in the natural or spiritual family. And I love my friend uh, Bill Vanderbush said this, if God were building anything other than a family, he would not ask us to call him father. Amen? So I'm just kind of building my case. You guys stay with me and I promise I'm going to preach, all right? Just stick with me. But all throughout the Old Testament, God uses family. God uses not only family, but he uses generations to establish his plans. As a matter of fact, if God is in something, it cannot be accomplished in one generation. Amen? Amen? Some of you are looking at me like you don't believe me. God does not just think in terms of one decade or two. God sees the end and the beginning. His plans are unfolding. When God thinks, he thinks in terms of generations. All right. The greatest example of this, obviously, is Abraham. When God calls Abraham, God gives Abraham this incredible promise. But you know what God tells Abraham? Of course, the promise is for Abraham. But you know who the promise is really for? His descendants. He says, I'm going to bless your descendants. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And he told him, look at the stars. As many as you can count, that will be the number of your descendants. As a matter of fact, I feel like preaching already. God is still building Abraham's family because every person who comes into Christ, according to Galatians and the rest of the gospel, everyone who comes into Christ becomes the seed of Abraham. So Abraham's been gone for how many years and God is still building his family legacy. God thinks in terms of generations. Amen. 
And this is a good thing. So God calls Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. And then, of course, out of Jacob comes the nation of Israel. God gave the, God gave the destiny or the promise to Abraham, but it takes generations to unfold. Pastor Hurd talked to us a few weeks ago about David and Solomon. We know that David wanted to build God a house, but God said, you can't build my house. There's blood on your hands. I'm going to, uh, your son Solomon is going to build me a house. Amen. God does things in generations. He gives generational promises and he gives generational mandates. Amen. This is why in two out of the four gospels, the writers take the time to give us the genealogy tree of Jesus Christ. And just a little tip, if you ever have trouble sleeping at night, just go read it. How many of you have ever tried to, let's be honest, come on, if you're like me, you've gotten to that verse, be like, I'm going to skip that verse, that chapter right there, I trust them, amen. But how many of you know there's a reason there's a genealogy tree in the gospel? Because, see, uh, one of the gospels traces uh, the lineage all the way back to Adam, one of them traces it back to David, but there's a reason he does that. Because when God comes to David, he says, David, I'm going to establish your house and your seed will sit on the throne forever. And the writers of the New Testament want us to know that Jesus is the direct descendant of David himself. God is honoring the the promise he made to David and he is building his house. This is why when Jesus is walking the earth, one of the, the ways he's referred to is Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Amen. God works through family. I know I'm overly building my case, but guess what? I want to lace this up with so much scripture that we can't get out of it. Family is so important to God that not only, not only does in Genesis chapter one, the Bible talks, it opens up in a garden with a marriage and a family. Not only that, all throughout the Bible, not only even in the New Testament, but guess what? Flip to the back of the book. Guess what happens? The Bible ends in Revelation with a marriage. When Jesus himself will betroth his church. No matter how you slice or dice it, this Bible begins and ends with marriage, with union, with family. You know why? Because family was God's idea. Marriage was, come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Marriage was not just something that we were taught culturally, right? It, right? It's not just a cultural phenomenon. It's not just a cultural. Listen, family and, and, and marriage was ordained by God himself to be the vehicle that he uses to bring transformation in the earth. And you know what? It's not even up for debate. Amen. So both natural and spiritual, God does everything through family. And you know, I, I just, I'm going to take a little rabbit trail, but can you indulge me just for just a couple of minutes? Amen. When I think about this church and where we are now, how many of you know that we didn't just arrive here yesterday? Even right now you're sitting here, whether you're new to this church or you've been here five years, a decade, maybe you've been here 20 years, I don't know, maybe, but do you realize that that we are a part of a legacy that's been unfolding for 70 plus years. We are 
we are a we are living in the generational momentum of what God began 70 something years ago with a woman who was an intercessor who became the first pastor of this church. Amen. And see, see, that's God thinks generationally. So what began with, with her and with, to, to, to the next generation and to the next generation until, until here we are. And even right now, we have multiple generations present. Even if you just look around, if you want to see how God works generationally, you don't have to look no further than look right next to you. Because God has been building this family for over 70 years. And while I'm on that, let me say this about church. That's why I believe we have to understand what this is. Church is a family that God builds. And I'm going to say something, and I love you. But that's why it shouldn't be easy to just pick up and leave a church. Because it shouldn't be easy to leave your family. And by the way, that's why I believe God calls you to a church. I don't believe that we pick a church like we drive through McDonald's and say, I'll take a number one. That's not, you know, you may have to look around for a while. But listen, when God plants you in a church, here's what I believe. You think you chose it, but actually he chose it for you. And God plants you in a spiritual family. Why? Because it's in that context that God is going to bring about and unfold your purpose. I love this. I have some friends up the road. At, the, my friends, the, the church is called um, Dwelling Place Church. They have an amazing saying. They say, find your family, find your destiny. Whenever God calls you and connects you to the right people, when he calls you to be a part of a spiritual family, listen, don't pick up and leave that place because that's where God has planted you. That's where you're going to flourish. And God is going to use that family to bless your life and to nurture the calling on your life. Amen. God is a generational God. Say that with me. Say God is a generational God. Both naturally and spiritually. And I I don't know about you, but I am so excited about the future of this church. But you know what? I'm also encouraged that it didn't start yesterday. This is a seasoned work. This is a seasoned move of God. This is, this is a church that is, you see, you see right now, you see the fruitfulness and the multiplication. It's because God has been at work in generations and people, and there have been generations of faithfulness. Amen. Are you with me this morning? So, now, I want to go back to this, to the idea of natural families. This pastor really hit on the spiritual family in the house, this house, a few weeks ago. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about natural families. I believe, of course, that just like in the Old Testament, God still uses families, not just spiritually, but in the natural. God uses families and family legacies and family um, units to pass on spiritual inheritances to next generations. And if I could, I just want to, I want to talk to you about that for a few moments. Is that okay? And here's what I want to, I want to open up with in this regard, asking you this question. See, there is a real generational blessing and inheritance. I, I truly believe in that, but I don't want anyone to feel left out. So you may be saying, Pastor Andrew, what if I'm the first Christian in my family? What if, what if, what if no one that's gone before me, what if, I, what if I haven't really inherited a spiritual legacy? 
Am I saying this morning that, man, you've got to come from this dynamite spiritual family to do anything great? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is this. You may be the Abraham in your family. You may be the one that's going to create a new lineage that follows you, that, that, that carves out a new destiny for your family. You may be Abraham in your family. Or you may be Isaac, you may be second generation, you may be Jacob, you may be third generation, you may be the son, you may be like the sons of generation, maybe you're four, maybe, you're, maybe you're, your spiritual lineage goes back generations. Here, here's what I do know, whether you're Abraham or whether you're Jacob or whatever, we are all called to either inherit a legacy or build a legacy and pass it on. And God... Just like he works in spiritual family, God also still has a plan to use families to pass on inheritance, spiritual inheritance and legacy throughout generations. Are you with me this morning? So let's go to 2 Timothy. If you get your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want us to look at something this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to Timothy, his second letter. He says this, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Listen to this, verse 5. This is is our key verse today. Paul tells Timothy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Someone say in me. me. Paul says, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. He says, I am persuaded it is in you also. This is powerful. Because when, when Paul is writing to Timothy, Paul brings up his, his lineage and he brings up the legacy that Timothy was born into. Can we talk about Timothy for just a few moments? Can I talk to you about Timothy? Paul and Timothy have a very sp- special relationship. It, it, you know, it's clear to see Paul had many companions and disciples in the gospel but it's, it's, it's evident. All you have to do is read these letters and other places in the, in the New Testament. Timothy is obviously Paul's favorite. Amen? Because there's, there, there's, there, there's a spiritual and a heart connection between them. And Paul invests so much time into Timothy. So when he's writing to Timothy, when you study the letters of Timothy, they're very personal for the Apostle Paul. So for the Apostle Paul to bring up things like this, we really need to lean in and pay attention. But who was Timothy? Timothy was from this area in Lystria. And what happened was, is Timothy actually comes from a mixed background. Timothy's father was Greek, but his mother was Jewish. Amen? This is why, if you'll remember, in, I believe it's in Acts chapter 16, when Paul tells Timothy to travel with him, Paul says, first, Timothy, I, I, I need to circumcise you. But here's the problem. Timothy is, is, is not a baby. He's a grown man. 
But why does Paul tell Timothy, I need to circumcise you first? Because Timothy was raised, you, you can kind of see how his father was Greek, but his mother was Jewish. And in the Jewish custom, usually, I think it's around the eighth day, a child is circumcised. But see, Timothy was raised in, in this, this uh, he was caught between two cultures. But Paul said this, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved, obviously. He said, but if you're going to reach your own people, you need to become like them. And so we know that Timothy, even though he was raised in this, this mixed cultural background, the culture of his mother and his grandmother rubbed off more on him than did his father, who was Greek. The scriptures don't really mention much about Timothy's father, although a lot of scholars believe that it's most likely that Timothy's father was either not around, had passed away, or was not a believer. But the upbringing he received from being around his mother and his grandmother was so impactful on his life, it was enough to rub off on him. Are you with me this morning? There was a generational legacy working in Timothy's life. Turn with me really quick. I want to show you something in in 2 Timothy. In the same letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. He says this, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But listen to this, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Listen to this, knowing from your childhood, that from your childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Someone say from his childhood. So, so Paul opens the letter by, by charging Timothy, and he says, listen, it was in your grandmother, it was in your mother. He goes, and I'm persuaded it's in you. Then in, in chapter 3, he references it again. He says, listen, hold fast to the word. He goes, and you know what? From your childhood, Timothy, you've known the Holy Scriptures. They've been read and taught around you, and he says, hold on to them. Okay, can I preach now? Here is the power of the family. Some of you look like you're going to sleep, so let me wake you up. Amen. Here's the power of family. Family is the thing that God wants to use as the incubator, as the place where God can prepare the soil of hearts for their purpose. Because of the upbringing that Timothy had, even though they, they had not, obviously Jesus had not come yet, they had not heard the gospel, but, but because he was raised in a Jewish context, he was raised with a grandmother and a mother who loved the Lord and taught him the scriptures. This was so important that by the time Paul gets to his city and preaches the gospel, Timothy's heart is already prepared to receive it. There's already a rich heritage and legacy in the things of God. And, and, and immediately when Timothy gets saved, Paul recognizes there's something in this young man that has been put in him because he was raised around it. See, the enemy wants to disrupt families because family is the thing that's supposed to cultivate destiny and purpose. Are you with me this morning? 
And here's what I believe happened with Timothy. And this is what I firmly believe. Some things are caught, or some things are taught, right? We know that Timothy was taught the word of God. A lot of us were taught the word of God. And some people are taught the word of God. But for some reason, and some people, it catches on. Some it catches on more than others. Things like that. Whatever. But here's what I think happened with Timothy. And I think this is so important. Is that some things are not just taught. Some things are caught. And I believe that Timothy was not just taught this, but he caught this. Because of the life that his grandmother and mother lived in front of him. Whatever culture, you see, Timothy was split between two cultures. Let, let me tell you, the, the, the difference between Jewish and Greek culture is, is as different as you could be. That the thought processes were different. And even though Timothy found himself being raised, being influenced by two cultures that were completely different, the influence of his grandmother and mother was so strong on him because I believe he was not just taught this, he caught this because of the life they lived. And here's what I know. We teach what we know, but we impart who we are. Amen? We teach what we know, but we impart who we are. I can't say this enough, that the life and the legacy of his family prepared Timothy for the work that he would do in the gospel. Amen. Unfortunately, family is also, you know, where things are passed on and imparted both negative and bad. How many know that's true? Come on, how many know that's true? I need a better, that's true than that. See, here's the powerful thing about family. The, the transference and the impartation of things are, are, are so powerful that whether it's good or bad, it, it still applies. And, and nobody's perfect. I want to say that right now. I don't care how godly you are, you carry some form of dysfunction inside of you as well. All of us have inherited some form of pain or dysfunction. Why? Because all of our families and all of us as individuals have been impacted by sin. Right? Even Timothy. I don't, I don't, I don't assume for one second that Lois and Eunice were perfect people. Right? And I don't pretend for one moment that Timothy's situation was ideal or perfect. But here's what I do know. And I, I just really felt led to encourage someone this morning. Sometimes we may worry as parents or as families, what are we going to pass on? And we, 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 we worry, you know what, I, I, I want, God, I want to pass on and leave a spiritual legacy and inheritance. And some of us may worry, like, God, please don't let me pass on the negative things. God, please don't let me pass on the dysfunction that I received. Please don't let me pass on the hurt that I received. Here's what, here's what I want to tell you. You don't have to live in fear. Because here's what I see in Timothy that encourages me. I know his family wasn't perfect and probably his dad wasn't around. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The life that his mother and grandmother lived was more impactful than the dysfunction or the hurt or any other situation was around him. You can't, none of us can control what we've inherited or what, what's been done. But here's what we do have control. We have control over the decisions we make and then we have a decision about the legacy that we're going to leave. And I'm encouraged that Lois and Eunice lived their life in such a way that it rubbed off on Timothy. Amen. 
Here's what I believe. Here's the good news. I believe no matter what dysfunction we come from, that through, through the grace of God on our lives, that, the, that what we pass on, the good can far outweigh the bad. How many of you believe that? Come on, how many of you believe that? I really, I truly believe that, that family is what God uses to cultivate destiny. You see, say this again, if you think about it, this is why the enemy attacks family so much. Because if he can disrupt that environment, he can plant all kinds of seeds. Am I right? But how we live our lives, uh, this is the impression that I want to leave with you today. Never underestimate the power of the life you're living to leave a legacy, good or bad. Amen? When I had my, as as many of you know, uh, I'm a new father. And my daughter turned six months on the 27th, just a couple days ago. Um, Amen? Amen. And I, I remember when she was born, I had this overwhelming, uh, just like every parent in this room has felt, that overwhelming feeling of responsibility because I, I, I realized how I live my life, whether I like it or not, how I live my life is going to affect my daughter and my grandchildren. And I was both excited about it because I'm like, man, that, that excites me because I can pass on the things of God. But you know what? I mean, but it also comes with such a heavy responsibility because she's, she's going to be, she's going to be watching me. And I, I, I will never be able to be a, a perfect dad, but what it did for me is that it, it, it kind of woke me up to start thinking, you know what? Now when I make decisions, I can't just think about myself. Well, first you learn that when you get married, you're like, I can't, Sometimes, I don't know, that, that takes a while to catch on. How many you know that when you get married, you have to learn to not be selfish, right? Your decisions don't just impact you, they impact y'all, right? I'm in the South, so I can say y'all. They, they, they impact us, and then, but, but, but there's something about having a, a child, you're like, oh my gosh, literally, my decisions are no longer just impacting my life or my wife. My decisions and how I'm living my life is now impacting generations, and I want to tell you, never underest- underestimate the power of the life that you live to leave a spiritual legacy. I want to, I'm going to tell you a personal story, and I've, I've told it once before. But I learned, I learned this lesson throughout the years um, in a really powerful way. You know, I, I can preach this message so passionately and fervently because I'm a living example of spiritual legacy and inheritance. Just like so many of you are. I'll never forget. I think it was about six years ago. I was in India. North in, uh, Northwest India. And we're doing you know, some evangelistic stuff out there. And really kind of reaching into communities that were um, not many believers. And we're there, and I was talking to a, a pastor, an Indian pastor. 
And he asked me, we were talking about it, he asked me my name. And when I told him my name, he recognized my last name. He said, you know what? He said, your grandfather came here 10 years ago. And I remember, I mean, I was in India and I remember in that moment, I can't explain it, but just this weight hit me like, oh my God. Like for the first time in my life, I I think I really started realizing I'm walking in a generational thing here. There are generations who have gone before me. Who have paved the way. And, and over the years I started realizing. like, And even now I, I, I'm giving you a personal example. Because that's all I can do is speak for myself. And you can relate to it in your life. I'm not stupid enough to think that the things that I'm doing now are just because of me. Obviously it's by the grace of God and his calling on my life. But here's what I do know. It's also. It's also. Because I have stepped into a generational legacy and inheritance. Check this. That I didn't work for and I didn't earn it. Do you, do you hear me today? That's the power is that you can pass on things to your children and grandchildren. That they can't work for and they can't earn it. But because of your faithfulness. That is powerful. But, but, but where, where this really came home for me, it was a decade ago. And I've told this story one, once before, I believe. I was about 19 years old at the time. And there was a conference um, in South Florida. And I really felt like the Lord wanted me to go to this conference. So I go with a group of friends and we go there. It's in Orlando. And I'm in this service and the man who's ministering, he calls me out to give me a prophetic word. And how many of you love prophecy? It's amazing. But I'll never forget this. Out of all the prophecies I've ever received, this, this one stands out the most. Because he's prophesying to me about my life. And while, while he's in the middle of prophesying, he, he sees a, he's like he sees a vision. And he says, you know what? He said... I see that there's a woman in the cloud of witnesses. Hebrews, Hebrews talks about how we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, the saints who have gone before us. Right? There's a host, right, of, of, of people. Did you, I don't know if you know this or not. There's a host, a company in heaven that are championing us on. They're saying, we ran the race, now you run yours. Right? So he's prophesying to me and he says, there's a woman four generations back. I see, he said, I see her in the cloud of witnesses. And he said, what you're walking in, she opened for you four generations ago. He said, she prayed prayers that, that were beyond her day into a time she could not see. And uh, see, it was cool later, but at the time I thought, that's weird. Like, like I'm young. I'm thinking, I don't know who this is. I had to piece it together. I think it was on the flight home because I kept thinking four generations. And, and I realized who that is. It's the woman who raised my, grand, my grandpa. A lot of you throughout the year, you'll hear my grandfather reference a lady that he calls nanny. 
She was a strong woman, and you know, Nana knew her as well. I, I never had the privilege of meeting her, but from what I hear, she was a strong woman, and she had to be because she helped raise so many kids and grandkids. But she was a godly woman, and she was a prayer warrior. She was an intercessor, and and really, and my grandpa has told his testimony before. And if you will remember, he told he he told a story where one night when he was held up at gunpoint, there was a man that was going to shoot him. And the man said, you know what? I don't know why, but I'm going to let you go. And, and so my grandpa said the next day, his grandmother calls him and says, where were you at this time? I was praying for you. And he says, he pieced it together. And he said, oh my God, when I was being held at gunpoint, she was interceding for me. But here's the thing is that, so, so my God had his hand on my grandfather and God can use many ways to, I think he would have got to him eventually. But here, here's, here's how I see it is that everything that he's done with his life and my father and everything that I'm doing with my life, it started with her because here's why it starts with one person saying, yes, Lord, I'll serve you. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll obey you. Yes, Lord, I'll live for you. Yes, Lord, I'll pray. Yes, Lord, I'll intercede. And so sometimes we think we're just going through the motions, but you have no idea what you're setting in motion. Because four generations from now, you may have a great, great grandson that is picking up the legacy that you left. Isn't this amazing? That means this. That means, listen, that means everything that my grandfather has done in ministry is also a part of her testimony and that everything that I'm going to do is also part of her testimony too because she had the courage to live for a day she couldn't see. And that's what I want to ask us this morning. Are we taking the mandate of heaven seriously? That family is so important. Do we have a vision for our family? Do we, do, do we understand the power of family, both in spiritually and naturally? That families, do you know how powerful families are? Okay, not to get off into too much conspiracy, but right now in the world, there are powerful families. Did you know they keep marrying within these families to keep, because they understand that lineage matters. Even in ancient times, royalty would marry. Why? Because they wanted to preserve the lineage of. Let me tell you something. You have something so special. You carry so much. Don't let it die with you. Don't let it stay in you. Have a vision to pass it on to your children's children. And I believe we what 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 we really need to get back into that way of thinking that we think beyond our day. And here's the thing about purpose. Look, can, can I just feel I'm just flowing now. Can I talk about purpose? Sometimes when we think about purpose, we say, oh, what am I called to do? And here's what I've learned about God. Anything that God has called you to do, if it doesn't have a generational element to you, it won't, won't, won't bear fruit after we're gone. So God wants us to think generationally. Amen? And I want to leave you with three application points. Is this okay this morning? Is this helping anybody this morning? I want to say this again. Some of you are worried. Man, I, I don't want to pass on the dysfunction and the things that I lived. I don't want to pass that on to my kids. How do I not do that? Let me, let me say this. First of all, if any man be in Christ, 
He's a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. I want to encourage you again. None of us can choose what we've inherited, but you, you make a choice with, with what you're going to do with your life. And I want to say this for the first application point. How do we fight to build a legacy to pass on? Let me, let me, I, wrote, I wrote down three points. I could have wrote down 10 or 12, but I really felt these three. We fight for a legacy of our family by first seeking to love God with all of our heart. I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. Why is this important? You know, because like, it's, it's like what I said. We teach what we know, but we impart who we are. The greatest legacy any of us can leave is first and foremost our devotion and our love for the Lord. I, I, don't, I, I don't believe there's a stronger witness for a believer than their personal walk with God. They, they don't want to just see us teaching this. They want to see us living this. But, no, but, but not just living this. They, they, they need to see the joy of our salvation. They need to see your devotion and your love for God. They need to see you in the morning getting up and devouring the word. Even when they're not, you're not even trying to teach nothing yet. But they need to see you drinking your coffee, reading your word. They need to see you praying in your closet. They need to hear you interceding in your closet. They need to see the tears on your face when you come out of your prayer. You know why? Because I promise you more, just not more, but just as much as caught as is taught. And the genuine love you have for God will rub off on your children. I promise you. When I think about my own family and I think about why I'm serving the Lord today, I don't actually ever feel, people, a lot of times people ask me this because I was a pastor's kid. They, I, they said, do you ever feel like anything was pressed on you? And I say, no, I, I never felt like anything was pushed on me. To me, it came so easy because in my, especially in my grandparents, I saw the genuine love and affection for the Lord. It, it was desirable to me. Amen. And how many of you know that's the difference between religion and relationship? Our families don't want to see religion where you're just beating people over the head with the word. No, they want to see the genuine love of God in your heart. So the first thing we can do for our families is we can love him with all of our heart. Amen? And, and, and number two, and I got to hurry if I could get the worship team. Number two, when I became a father... I, I told God, you know, at the beginning of 2019, I knew I was going to be a dad. I said, God, this is my prayer this year. Just help me be a, a good dad. Help me be a good father. And God spoke to me so clearly, so clearly. He says, learn how to be a son. If you want to be a good father, let me father you. In the last, in, in this year, actually, in this year of being a father, God has taken me personally on a deeper journey of my sonship with Him. And I felt led to encourage someone today. Is see, no matter how, so some of us had amazing earthly fathers, and that's amazing. Some of us didn't. And, and if you, there's a lot of good we can pull from earthly fathers. But here, whatever your situation, here's what I do know: our heavenly Father. Is, is a good, good father. He's the best. How I many you know he's the best? Come on, say he's the best. He's the best. And when Jesus walked the earth, and the, the gospels give us a peek uh, into his life, 
How Jesus relates to God is he calls him father more than any other title that he ever used. Jesus called God Abba. Someone say Abba. Father. And God told me, he says, if you want to be a good, good father, you got to first be a son. You know what's so powerful about this? It's because as you let God father you, and listen, I know what some of you think, I've been saved 20, I don't care if you've been saved 20, 30, or 40 years, God will be your father all of your life and for all of eternity. As we allow God to father us, he heals the wounds of our past. Oh, come on, that, I'm preaching better than your amen right there. As we allow God to father, listen, some of us know God in theory is father, but God wants to reveal himself as father to you. He, he wants to literally father you and teach you the ways of his heart. So God told me, if you want to be a good father, you've got to be a son. So as a parent, we've got to learn how to be sons and daughters first. And he will reveal to us not the heart and the strategies of how to be good earthly parents. Amen? And number three, I'm going to close on this. We've got to submit our lives and our homes to the authority of the word of God again. I'm going to say that again. We've got to submit our lives and our homes to the authority of the word of God again. Can I, can I say something as we close? We need reformation in society. See, see society is seeking to redefine marriage. It's, seeking to, it's even seeking to redefine what a gender is to us, which is it's crazy to even think about. But before we ever try to reform society, God wants to first reform the family. Because it's where everything starts. And we've got to bring our lives and our homes back under the authority of the word of God. You know why? Because we're living in a time. I call it the I think and I feel. Everything is I think. Well, I think this. Well, I think a man should marry a man. I, well, I feel that you. Great. That's how you think and that's how you feel. What does he say? We, we've gotten ourselves into so much trouble by saying, you know what? Well, I, it, I, I'm not condemning feelings because God created you with feelings. But here's what I know. You weren't called to be led by your feelings, but by the Spirit. Man, how do you know if we led our, we're led by our feelings each and every day, we'd be in trouble? See, because there are days you're going to wake up and you're going to say, I don't feel like being a husband today. Well, great. But don't be led by your feelings. Be led, be led and submitted by the word of God. Well, I don't feel like being a father today. I don't feel like, well, you know what? It's not about how we feel. See, because culture is pushing this narrative. They want us to chase happiness. That's the thing. But God says, see, culture says be happy. God says be holy. The powerful thing about it is you chase happiness, you'll never get it. But if we submit to God here, here's what's so amazing about holiness. Holiness is wholeness. In holiness, God can make us whole. And that's where true life and peace and joy resides. And so this is what I'm saying is this. 
is that we've got to submit to this even when we disagree with it. We've got to submit to this even when we don't understand it. We've got to submit to this even when it offends us. Because guess what? We've got to trust that God knows what's best for our lives and what's best for our families more than we do for ourselves. Sometimes submitting to this, it's painful and it's hard, but guess what? It always bears fruit. Amen. Would you stand, stand with me across the building? How many of you know what I'm talking about? When God called us to be holy, did, did, did you know that in holiness you're not missing out on anything? You're actually gaining everything? For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 